All right, and so this series um, is just titled Sorrowful, uh, Even to Death. Um, this is um, actually a phrase that um, is found in the scriptures. Uh, we're going to look at uh, our Lord Jesus uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane um, for the next maybe two, uh, possibly three weeks. And we're just going to look at uh, the kind of things that he endured uh, during that time. And so, um, yeah, hopefully it will be encouraging for us. Um, Today's sermon um, will be titled Sinless Sorrows. Uh, I just want to talk about this idea that there are such sorrows uh, that exist in the Christian life uh, that aren't sin, um, but are sinless. Uh, As you all may know, uh, Chadwick Boseman, kind of known for playing Black Panther, uh, recently passed away. Um, He'd been battling for four years, uh, mostly privately uh, with uh, cancer and um, I'm sure you've heard about it. Um, it's, it's, it's very sad and kind of out of the blue. Uh, he was young. Um, and as I um, was reading the news, I stumbled across an article um, from someone else. It's an actor named Clark Peters. Uh, I don't know if you read this. Clark Peters was an actor and he starred in the movie uh, The Five Bloods uh, with Chadwick Boseman. Um, and after hearing about um, Boseman's death, he reflects on kind of the first time he interacted with him right, in this article. And so Clark Peters, um, he's looking back and he's basically regretting um, the way that he responded to Chadwick Boseman. And in the article, he recalls uh, his wife asking him, um, what is Chadwick Boseman like? Right, because Clark Peters was really excited to work with Chadwick Boseman. He's, he's famous. And he's, he remembers saying to his wife, um, I think he's a little bit precious. Right? And when his wife asked why, he said, you know, because he's surrounded by people who are fawning over him, right? He has a Chinese practitioner who is massaging his back when he walks off set. He has a makeup lady massaging his feet. His girlfriend is there holding his hand. And he remembers saying, I'm thinking maybe the Black Panther thing went to his head, right? And he's, he remembers like saying that to his wife. And obviously uh, Clark Peters at that time just had no idea what was really going on. Right? He had no idea the kind of things that Chadwick Boseman was enduring and that he was secretly battling uh, with cancer. And that's why he needed massages and that's why his girlfriend was there to hold his hand. And um, all that he was you know, judging was the exterior. Right? And that judgment that Chadwick Boseman was precious, um, now you know, it's flipped upside down and now he understands and now everything makes sense. And that kind of made me think about you know, how often we might do something similar. You know, that we might, you know, judge others based off exterior things, uh, making assumptions when we don't really know what's happening beneath the surface. And at the same time, I wonder how many of us are secretly struggling with our own pains, our own worries, wrestlings, burdens, uh, but not telling anyone. And so there's kind of like secret struggling going on on one side and other people are only seeing the exterior and jumping to wrong conclusions about what's really going on. You know, you may know this coming Thursday is Are You OK Day? And, you know, Are You OK is an organization. It encourages conversations amongst people uh, who are struggling uh, so that you can be honest about what you're going through and hopefully prevent um, suicide. And Are You OK Day is a very specific day where they encourage kind of everyone to just check up on how we're going. And it seemed like a good opportunity with that coming up and also uh, just, I don't know, the, the, the burden of COVID, I, I sense that. I feel like more and more people are um, 
maybe mentally, emotionally being burdened by just being in this for such a long time. Uh, I thought it was a good opportunity to kind of come to this series. And again, like I shared, look at our Lord Jesus as he endures sorrow uh, in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, I often uh, feel like maybe Christians can be uh, the worst offenders um, in what I explained about the Chadwick Boseman story, that we are often the ones who really secretly struggle with what we're going through and don't tend to open up to others. And at the same time, we may be the worst offenders when we look at others who are sorrowful or downcast and we make quick assumptions or judgments on uh, them, their spiritual faith or their strength. Right? And so I just want to kind of tackle this whole concept. Um, and again, like I said, point out there is such a thing as a sinless sorrow. And that's just a phrase I came up with, um, this idea that you can be sorrowful and for that not to be sin and for that not to be weakness. And so we're going to jump into that, this um, idea. Um, we've got two points today. And the first thing I want to talk about is situational sorrows. So let me read um, from Luke and Mark just to give us a picture of this story you may know uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, and Luke 22, it says, And Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. And when Jesus came to the place, right, the place is most likely the Garden of Gethsemane, because that's what Mark and Matthew says, uh, he said to his disciples, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared uh, to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Let me read Mark's version. It's very similar to Matthew, so we won't read Matthew's um, recount of this. Um, Mark says, And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Right? That's where I got the title of the series. Sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed, that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will be done. Right, you probably know uh, this story. Uh, it's really um, hard to explain just how significant uh, this moment is. Right? This world-defining, uh, really like eternity-defining moment. Our Lord Jesus is at the doorstep of his betrayal. And it's going to lead to a domino of events that culminate in his death on the cross, right? On the cross, he's going to receive the wrath of God. Uh, he's going to take our sins on himself, um, the burden of all of our failures. And he's going to you know, pay the price of death for us. And he's going to make a way so that sinners like us might be saved. And all of that is, is kind of really at the precipice here as he's praying at the garden. Um, and that whole event of um, you know, him being betrayed, um, being tortured and dying on the cross is not only the most important moment in the life of Jesus, but the most important moment in all of history, right? in all of the universe. And Jesus is going to, he's, he's looking forward at what is going to happen. And the burden of all of it is, is really starting to hit him. And what our Lord Jesus is wrestling with 
is really whether he's going to go ahead with what's to come or not. That's what he's wrestling with. Am I going to go through with all of this? And it's not the physical pain uh, that is kind of burdening him. It's the idea that he will be uh, judged by the father and receive his wrath, right? be separated from what was once a perfectly loving relationship with God the Father and the Spirit will now be severed at the cross. And um, I don't know if you've seen The Passion of the Christ. Can you give me like a nod if you've seen The Passion of the Christ? Um, In The Passion of the Christ, this scene is one of the most powerful and dramatic scenes, I think, in the movie. You may remember, I don't know, I realize this movie is actually 16 years old. It's so old now. Um, some of you were probably like in primary school and I don't know, you, you were forced to watch it in, in primary school by your church uh, teacher. And it's an MA movie, by the way, lots of blood. And maybe you got nightmares from this scene, but this scene is like kind of really, it's really serious, dark and moody. Uh, the music's really intense. Uh, Jesus is in the garden. Everything's like black. And Satan is lurking in the corner. He's got this white face in a hood. He's whispering lies to Jesus. And all of that kind of uh, intensity uh, is symbolizing just how momentous this moment is. Right? Uh, if you go watch it, it's on YouTube in pretty bad quality. But you kind of sense the, just the, how intense it is. Um, and it's so uh, important, this moment, at least in Mel Gibson's understanding, that when Jesus stands up victoriously, right, kind of saying, I'm going to go ahead with it, uh, what he does is he stands up and he steps on the serpent's head, right? Symbolically stating that he's victorious over Satan, right? Going back to Genesis, he crushes the, Satan's, the serpent's head. And I guess for Mel Gibson, he's basically saying, you know, Jesus' victory in prayer is basically victory over Satan because now he's going to go ahead with everything. All of this is just to say, basically, this is a very important, significant moment. You know, for us, we often think that Um, I wish I could know the future because it would save me from stress and anxiety. You know, I wish I could know what's going to happen. I wish I know if I'm going to get the job, et cetera. Uh, But I once heard that it's God's grace that he doesn't let us know the future because if we knew, we would be overwhelmed with even more anxiety of what we do know, right? Knowing what's going to happen might in fact make us more stressed. And Jesus here in the garden, he knows what's going to happen. And what's going to happen is, like I shared, he's going to go to the cross. And one of the things that stands out from a very vivid and dramatic scene is his emotions, right? The emotions and the way that they're described is very powerful. Let me just reiterate uh, what it says. Mark says that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he tells his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Luke says, Jesus is described as being in agony and his sweat became like great drops of blood. And again, Matthew is very similar to Mark. Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Now, what I want to point out, and this is very simple, is that Jesus' most darkest moment led him to his darkest emotions, right? It's a very serious situation and circumstance. And Jesus uh, kind of understandably, emotionally is moved. And so he's distressed, he's troubled, he's in agony, he's sorrowful. But Jesus is feeling what I'm going to term situational sorrows. And this seems obvious, uh, except uh, when we really think about it, You know, Christians, we we sometimes think that 
that's not okay. Right? We can make the mistake of thinking that the strong Christian is the stoic Christian. Right? The strong Christian is emotionally unmovable in every circumstance. Right? That it doesn't matter what happens and what tragedy comes and befalls your life or kind of loss you may suffer. To be a strong Christian is to n- not respond with any emotion. The strong Christian is always smiling and always has a spring in their step. Right? That's kind of what we may think. I don't know if, if you've kind of thought that way. And therefore, a Christian who responds to any situation with, with uh, uh, emotional lowness or sorrow uh, is, is a weak Christian. They lack faith. Uh, they're doing something wrong. Right? And, and maybe they might even be sinning. Right? That's kind of how we may think. But what I want to say today is that it's not that simple. But you can't just conclude that just because someone is uh, emotionally responding to a situation that it is automatically sin or that it's automatically wrong. And we know that because we're looking at Jesus right now in a situation where he is very emotional. He's responding to what is happening and what's going to happen with uh, extreme emotions. And in the second point, we'll unpack that in a little bit more detail. But, you know, Jesus is is a person who's never sinned. And not only has he never sinned, and not only is he not sinning in this uh, scenario, but he is of the strongest faith, right? Jesus has never done anything wrong. He does everything perfectly. He's, he's, he's our example. And so when we look at Jesus responding emotionally, he, he is our model in a sense. And so if Jesus himself, the perfect example for us, is responding uh, to the situation with emotion, then that means for us as well, we have permission in certain circumstances to also respond emotionally. Right? Does that make sense? Right? The, the stoic Christian uh, is not the, the, the way that the Christian should always be. Now, this has a lot of caveats. It's, it's not that simple. I'm not saying that all emotions are okay, etc. Um, but the conclusion really is that uh, just because, again, you have emotion in a situation, it doesn't automatically mean it is wrong. And maybe an analogy, the, the way that I understand it, and I've kind of given this analogy before, is that we are like boats in an ocean. And the ocean moves around, it bobs up and down, the wind comes, the waves, you know, sometimes they're, they're ferocious and sometimes they're very calm. And the Christian is a boat. And the Christian, as opposed to all the other boats in the ocean, is a person who has an anchor, right? And the Christian has anchored uh, themselves onto the rock, onto the rock of Christ, right? And so depending on how tightly your rope of faith clings to the rock of Christ will depend, will, will affect the degree to which you are moved by life storms. And so the Christian boat that has the rope of faith Uh, clinging loosely to the rock of Christ, right? I'm stretching this analogy. Uh, They will be moved more, right? Because the the rope of faith is is clinging loosely. Whereas the the Christian who clings more tightly to the rock uh, will uh, be moved less and will find its equilibrium more quickly, right? Does that analogy make sense? Uh, But even the strongest boat with uh, the rope clinging most tightly and they've got the strongest thickest rope clinging most tightly to the rock, uh, it, that boat uh, is still moved, right? If the storm or season is ferocious enough, 
or the out-of-the-blue anxiety attack is ferocious enough, uh, even such a strong boat will be shaken, right? Some storms move us all, right, no matter who we are. And that's where we find Jesus. He is the best, the strongest, most faithful of us all. But his rope of faith, whatever, is the strongest. And yet the storm is so great that even he is moved. And he's not lacking anything. He's not lacking faith. He's not weak in this moment. This is just normal when ferocious storms hit our lives. The problem is when our boat is rocked and swayed as much as Jesus is rocked and swayed here when it's just a little wind that's coming, right? And that's possible if the rope of faith is very loose, right? And in that case, right, possibly it's a reflection of uh, immature faith. Uh, it's an opportunity for you to learn to cling to Christ more, right? right? If, if, if we're swaying a lot just because the wind is, 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 is very light, then that probably means there's something to do better. Right? And maybe it means um, that there's something to look into um, clinically um, to see if there is a, a, a depression uh, um, problem, you need to see a counselor, a psychiatrist, etc. But, but that, that um, would, would indicate that there's something that needs to be uh, looked into. Right? So, so the idea is that the stronger our clinging is to Christ, for the most part, we will find our equilibrium better, but that doesn't automatically mean we will never feel emotion. Right? That's mainly my first point. Right? Jesus, the perfect one, felt intense emotion in this situation. I, I need to say that what Jesus is wrestling with here is something that none of us would ever understand. Right? The temptation that he was confronted with, the burden that he's going to carry on the cross are burdens that we will never have to carry. And praise God we never have to carry them because Jesus carried them for us. Right? And so to a degree, what Jesus went through, you know, we will never understand, but there are still massive storms that come to our lives, great losses, out of the blue, you know, hurts, pains, maybe even just the seasons uh, where we're um, feeling very blue. Right? And all of these things, uh, you know, we may respond to with emotion. And that's, that's not always bad, is what I'm saying. And so the first thing I want to say is basically, you know, let's not jump to conclusions. When we see someone who is sorrowful, uh, emotionally down, it doesn't automatically mean uh, there's a problem with the person, right? Sometimes we may think that, oh, you know, they, they seem uh, depressed. Um, you know, they must be doing something wrong. Um, but again, Jesus is not doing anything wrong here. Uh, that's not always the case. Uh, that person may be very intimate with the father, um, but their lives have just been flipped upside down. And for however long, and you know, it depends on the person and situation, it's understandable that they will be very emotional you know, as they wrestle through all of it. Now, again, I'll be mainly focusing on one side of the equation, uh, but the other side is that they may be um, responding badly, right? It may be something that they need to have more faith in. It may be that um, they need to mature more in their faith. And um, I guess the end outcome is we just don't know, right? We don't know if like on the outside, the boats are rocking the same, but one person is very strong in their faith, um, but it's just a massive storm. And one person is rocking a lot um, and very emotional, but it's just small things in their lives. Or maybe it's idolatry. On the outside, it looks the same, right? So we can't jump to conclusions. Right? What we need to do 
is be patient, ask good questions, listen well, right, and not make assumptions. Right? We, we just can't tell from the outside. We need to really get into the life of the person to see what's really going on and to encourage them. Right? That's the first point, situ situational sorrows. Jesus went through situational sorrows, um, and obviously he didn't sin. The second thing, and this is the second and last point, is severe sorrows. You know, not only did Jesus respond to the situation he was in with sorrow, but I want to talk about just the severity of the emotions that he's going through. Right? Because you can say, all right, Christians are meant to, like they can respond to some situations uh, with sorrowful emotions, um, but there's a line and when you cross that line and you get too intense, well, well, well that's, that's sin, right? We can think that way too. And what I want to say is um, there's really no kind of emotion on the spectrum uh, that gets to a point where you say, okay, that's sin, right? You can't automatically say that either, right? Severe sorrows can also be sinless, right? I want to point out three things. And the first is I just want to revisit these words. Because these words that are used to describe what Jesus is feeling are not your everyday, you know, stressed at work kind of words, uh, unless your work is like super stressful. But like, it's not the, you know, oh yeah, I'm having a stressful week. These words are really intense. Uh, Jesus is wrestling with the kind of emotion that totally grips a person, uh, shakes them to the core and overshadows everything else in life. Right? When was the last time you've used these words uh, when you shared how your week is? Right? We, don't, we don't tend to use these words because they're really um, kind of extreme words in a way, extreme emotions. I'm troubled. But how is your week? I, I'm really distressed. I'm feeling very sorrowful. Right? I, I'm in agony. Right? We would only use these words when we're feeling um, the most extreme of emotions. Right? The second thing I want to point out is this phrase. Jesus says to his disciples, you know, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Uh, this, this doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, I would rather die uh, than go through what I'm feeling. But what he is saying is that um, these emotions are so powerful uh, that I feel like I'm dying. I feel like you know, they might kill me. Um, have you ever felt such deep sorrow and anguish that, you know, the burden in your heart or just the, the, your soul is breaking to a point that you, you feel like you're actually dying? And Jesus felt that and he knows that feeling. And that's what he is expressing uh, with his own words here in this passage. Right? So again, the, the sorrow that he's feeling is, is not just surface level sorrow. It's really um, kind of consuming. Right, it's bringing him to the point, uh, to the, the, the end point of what he feels like he can handle. And the third thing uh, that I just want to point out is in Luke's account, he says, um, Jesus' sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, there are different, differing views on what's really happening here. Uh, some commentators say this is just a metaphor. Like, you know, we say sweating bullets. And so they're saying Jesus is sweating a lot, sweating as if blood is dripping down his face, right? He's just sweating a lot. Um, but the other view, and this is kind of what I would lean more toward, is to take it as it reads, that Jesus' sweat actually you know, kind of became like blood. 
And there is um, a known condition, and this was known even at the time of Jesus in ancient, and it's known now, uh, there's a condition where this actually happens. And I'm going to try to say the word, it's hematidrosis. Okay, don't worry, I'll, I'll send it if you're really curious. Hematidrosis. Okay, thank you, thanks guys. All the doctors here are like, uh, judging me um it's it's this thing where and maybe the doctors know this better it's where extreme stress or anguish or maybe physical strain but it can be emotional strain it causes a person's blood vessel to burst and the blood then mixes with the sweat and then it comes out like sweat right with your sweat the blood right and so um if, if this is what's really happening uh, then it speaks again to just how extreme and severe the sorrow is that jesus is wrestling with that his um, blood vessel would burst it would mix with his blood and it would come out in his sweat right and even if this is a metaphor the fact that he's sweating uh, like blood is again uh, speaking of the intensity of his emotion right? all of this is basically to say uh, the sorrow that jesus is feeling is, is very very severe right it's, it's of the deepest kind um, like if you and I were there with Jesus and we saw his face and we watched his posture, right? It says he fell on his face. If we heard his words, you know, my soul is very sorrowful, right? Even to death. We overheard his prayers. He's only a stone throw away. We heard the kind of things he's praying, take this cup away from me. Uh, you know, I, I think we would conclude that like he's broken maybe. We would definitely have worried for him. We would like maybe talk to each other. Did you see him just then? Something's up. I think we would have questioned, if he's, is he in a good place? He's saying some kind of intense things. I think we'd wonder, maybe like he needs to fix himself up or he shouldn't be that way. You know, I think we would make a lot of assumptions and judgments that again, may have been wrong. Because again, Jesus isn't weak. He's not doing anything wrong. He's not in a bad place. He's just feeling severe sorrow. Right, the kind of emotional grief that Jesus is enduring is so consuming, he feels like he'll physically die. His anxiety is so extreme, he's sweating blood. And yet not once, not for a second, is he a weak Christian. Not once is he lacking faith. Not once is he doing anything wrong. He is perfect. Right? You can feel these severe sorrows and not be doing anything wrong. And so the mistaken thought Christians can have is that the best Christians never go through these kinds of emotions, right? The best Christians never feel depression. The best Christians never feel deep anxiety, um, but Jesus is the best. And he felt these emotions, right? Jesus felt this. Um, and you may know Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers, right? His sermons are so great that, you know, we still, you know, read them and quote him now. He wrestled with depression uh, throughout his whole life. Um, and so even the best of us can feel these kinds of emotions. You know, I think one of the reasons uh, Christians, we respond negatively to these kind of negative or extreme emotions uh, is because the Bible elsewhere tells us that Christians are to be joyful, right? And so we're meant to be joyful, but they're sorrowful. And so they must not be doing the right thing, Right. James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. And that's true. Philippians 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 
right? And you've got other verses you can obviously add on to that. We know we're meant to trust God. Maybe be like Job, who lost everything and still praised God, right? at least at the start. Um, but, you know, those two things, sorrow and joy, are not mutually exclusive. Right? Just because you're feeling sorrow doesn't mean you don't have joy. And just because you have joy doesn't mean that you can't feel sorrow. Right? Uh, the Apostle Paul says, uh, we are as Christians, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Right? Those two things, at least in the mind of the Apostle, are together in the life of the Christian. And how that works, and you know, that's that's another kind of thing that you know, even I don't maybe I don't think I fully understand. But I think you know a piece of it is that the Christian, regardless of what kind of storms are going on around them, what kind of emotions they're feeling, they always have a flicker of hope and joy that can never be extinguished because of Jesus Christ. Right, and sometimes it might even seem to go out. You know, like flames, you know, sometimes they seem to go out, but they kind of come back to life. That's what the Christian always has, a, a enduring, um, unfailing joy in the midst of everything else, in the, even in the midst of the deepest sorrows. The strength and maturity of a Christian uh, is not seen in the absence of sorrow, not in the absence of situational or severe sorrows, but in our response to them. Right? I'll say that again. The strength of a Christian is not in the absence of sorrow, right? So when you see a person with sorrow and even the severest of sorrows, uh, don't judge their strength or weakness by the fact that they're feeling it. Uh, we should judge, not that we should judge, but we should know their strength by how are they responding in that emotion. And so a Christian might have the, the deepest emotion and the severest of sorrows, but if they're responding uh, with faith in that, uh, that is the measure of their strength, right? Not the fact that they're feeling those emotions, right? So the question is, what will you do in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the sorrow, right? A, a person feeling those emotions doesn't mean they are weak, right? Our Lord Jesus is feeling these emotions, but he is strong and he's strong because he's responding even in the midst of the most intense battle and temptation with faith. Right? I'll talk about this a bit more next week, but he, he's praying. He clings on to the Father. And in, in many ways, that's the measure of strength. Right? And a person may endure with severe sorrows for a very long time. Right? And again, we might think, oh, you're enduring that for a long time. That must mean you're not fixing the problem. Um, but sometimes, you know, that may just be maybe the thorn in your side. Uh, this is what God is trying to um, strengthen you through. And you can have a person who's enduring this emotion for a long time, but constantly returning to the Lord uh, in faith, uh, in prayer, uh, laying their lives down. And they're going through that high and low, but continually battling. And I think that is a strong Christian uh, it's a different kind of strength, really, when you think about it, that they're able to endure for so long and not give up on their faith. Right? And so the strength is found in the response. Now, Bob Coughlin, I don't know if you know, uh, he's the current director of Sovereign Grace Music. We sing some of their songs, um, but I, I can't think of a song he wrote off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, he's quite well known, depending on the circles you run with. Um, and he shared about the deep depression he went through about 26 years ago. Um, and you can find it on Desiring God. It's an article called The Year My World Fell Apart. And as he recounts, you know, just that season, he says, you know, my health was good. 
I enjoyed an active life and ministry opportunities abounded. Everything looked good from the outside, but on the inside, it was a different story. Starting in January of 1994, fear, hopelessness, depression, detachment, anxiety, and emptiness became my daily companions. Right? So everything was good, but kind of out of nowhere, he found himself in a situation where you know, he was feeling all these things. And he was saying that he didn't really know, you know where it came from. And this, this went on for a few years. And this is what he says. Um, this is kind of what he, what he learned through the journey of a few years. He says, maturity isn't freedom from temptation, but responding to temptation more often, right? Not perfectly, but more often than not. Uh, responding to temptation more often with what God has said and done for us in Christ. Right? So how are you responding? Are you responding with God's truths? Right? I often thought I was backsliding when the temptations of anxiety, fear, hopelessness, and depression reappeared or even increased. In those moments, I was tempted to think that what I had been doing and believing didn't work. Right? Prayer must not be working. I'm feeling these things. Bible's not working because uh, um, I'm still feeling these things. I'm doing something wrong. Right? That's what he thought, but he's saying it's wrong. He says, John Alwyn observed, your state is not at all to be measured by the opposition that sin makes to you, but the opposition you make to it. That's, the, that's a really cool line. Your state or your strength is not at all to be measured by the opposition that sin makes to you, but the opposition you make to it. Right? So again, the strong Christian isn't the person who doesn't feel emotion, and the weak Christian isn't the person who's feeling a lot of emotion. Right? It's found in how will you respond in the midst of that emotion. In my discouragement, Bob says, I was tempted to run to something other than God's word and the gospel as my refuge. I started to doubt that hearing the Bible preached on Sundays could do any good, but... God's promises remain true no matter how many times we forget or neglect them. Right? And so he's saying he's enduring these emotions, but you need to respond over and over again with the word, with prayer, even at times when it feels like it's not doing anything. And that's really the measure of strength. Right? How will you respond? You know, after being shell-shocked by your situation, by, you know, things at work, family, relationships, um, you know, out of the blue emotions, um, your life is flipped upside down, um, but the encouragement is for all of us to, to claw our way back to the Father over and over again in those moments, right? And that is uh, the response that we need to have, and that is the measure of strength in a Christian, right? As opposed to, you know, turning our back on God and to allowing ourselves to be consumed uh, by our own misery, and that would be a wrong way to respond. And so as I close, just want to say three things quickly. Number one, again, uh, don't jump to conclusions. I think there's a, a stigma that surrounds any sort of emotional struggle or depression or anxiety. You know, I, I had a meeting last Sunday uh, with a group of people to talk about mental health. And that was kind of the general um, vibe people were saying is that there is, I think, especially in the church from Christians. And I'm sure, you know, uh, maybe I um, added to that um, but this idea that any negative, negative emotion is a sign of weakness. Uh, it's an immediate evidence of that person's weakness or failure. Um, but that's, again, not always the case. Uh, it may be that person may um, have drifted from the Lord. That person may uh, be neglecting their spiritual disciplines. Uh, but it may not be 
again, as we see Jesus. Um, the second thing I want to say is uh, I think uh, all of us here uh, could, could do better um, because um, to, to share what we're going through and to care about what other people are going through. That rhymed. I didn't plan that. Um, you know, I heard on a podcast uh, a few weeks ago uh, this thing, and, and it was really helpful for me. The host briefly said this. They said, and I'm paraphrasing, depression or anxiety can hit two groups of people, ordinary people in extraordinary situations and extraordinary people in ordinary situations. And what they were saying, and these, these terms may hopefully don't, don't offend anyone, but what they meant was a depression or anxiety can hit extraordinary people in ordinary situations. And what they meant by extraordinary people were people who had a history maybe of depression or anxiety, who uh, maybe physiologically or hormonally were inclined toward you know, depression, uh, maybe need to be clinically diagnosed with a mental illness. These extraordinary people uh, can go through ordinary situations and, and feel depression or anxiety, right? And, and they are, I guess, a, maybe a category of people who then may need help in certain um, different ways. But the other group of people are just ordinary people going through extraordinary situations. And ordinary people, that term, I don't know if it's the best term, but uh, people who don't necessarily struggle with anxiety or depression, who may have never felt it before, when they go through extraordinary situations, will also feel or can also feel depression or anxiety. And I don't know, for me, it was helpful to kind of understand, oh, it can happen in this way and it can happen in that way. And it was helpful because I think right now we're all going through an extraordinary situation. COVID-19 is like nothing the world has ever gone through um, in our lifetime. And you may have never felt these emotions before. You may think you're an ordinary person, um, but we're all going through an extraordinary situation. And so you, you may be going through um, anxiety or depression, and you may think you're immune to that, but none of us really are. And when you think about it like that, uh, it's really important that all of us, whether we're ordinary or extraordinary, uh, need to be more open to one another. Uh, we need to seek community. Uh, we need to be honest. We need to make sure we're not judging um, the strength or faith of other people. Uh, we really need to be honest and gracious here in this space. So the third and final thing is really um, as we go off, I want to encourage us to speak to God and speak to each other, right? To encourage you um, to speak to your growth group, to speak to one another, to check up on how each of us are going and speak to God, right? To pray. And I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. It's always wants me to stop. She's crying. Um, but yeah, just encourage us, speak to God and speak to each other. Um, yeah. And so that, that's all I want to say today. The, the questions um, you, you can talk about whatever you want today, but the questions I kind of wrote down is this. Does the idea of Jesus enduring sorrow, um, the situational or the severe nature of his sorrow in the garden, does it challenge you in any way? Right? I, I don't know. Does, does this topic challenge you? For me, I don't know, stretch my thinking. I never thought about the garden of Gethsemane uh, in this kind of way. Um, but, but does it challenge you or is it things that you've already known before? Let me just talk about that. Um, second point. Um, how are you doing uh, in the midst of COVID? Right? How, how are you doing? Um, just chat about how you're going. And if you're struggling, uh, maybe this will be an opportunity. Not, you know, not to complain, uh, not to criticize, 
Um, but just to be honest and ask for prayer. I think the, the posture in which we share our struggles is vitally important. Um, and, you know, just, just to invite people to support you. Um, I think that'd be great. And so um, I think Daniel's split us up into breakout rooms. Um, maybe we can have a chat um, about this.